huge, massive, enormous content and spoiler warning. I'm going to be talking about Game of Thrones, which contains adult themes, and there will be spoilers about the show and the books. You have been warned. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and I would like to begin by acknowledging that we are fortunate to be able to gather on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people where this podcast is recorded. Today I am going to be talking about Game of Thrones, yay, by far my favourite episodes to do. First up, I want to give a shout out to my colleague Peter, at PTR LeBlanc on Twitter, who listens to the show, who brought to my attention some incorrect assumptions I made in my last episode about the wildlings. I spoke about the wildlings in the context of current-day refugees and the fact that there is little to no evidence suggesting that immigrants and refugees are dangerous to the societies they enter. Well, this is clearly not true in Game of Thrones. The wildlings are widely known to have crossed the wall and pillaged southern communities, so I was definitely wrong in implying that they pose no threat to the world south of the wall. In saying that though, when they were violent, they were a lot of the time reacting to violence bestowed upon them by southerners. I'm not saying that this is the right thing to do. Either way though, I still feel that they probably pose less of a security threat to Castle Black and other Westerosi communities, as they are now fleeing a greater danger much like refugees in reality. So thank you very much, Peter, for keeping me on my toes. And I would like to remind everyone else that if you think I got something wrong, please reach out to me. Right, now that I have addressed my errors, let's move on to this episode about Valerian Steel. I'm going to cover what Valerian Steel is, where it comes from, what we know about it, its value, its power, what characters speculate, and then make some comparisons to real-life Damascus Steel which has some similarities with the fantasy material. To begin, Valyrian steel is a form of metal that was forged in the days of the Valyrian Freehold. It is famous throughout Westeros and Essos for its ability to hold a keen edge, remaining sharp forever without the need for honing. It is also incredibly lightweight. As such, it is primarily used to make swords and some other weapons like daggers. Valyrian steel blades can also be visually identified by the wavy pattern in blades made from it. So who gets a Valyrian steel weapon or other artifact? Well, even when it was being produced, Valyrian steel weapons serve as heirlooms in noble houses, passed down from generation to generation. This holds even more significance now than during the Age of Valyria, as the process for forging the steel has been lost. In the books, there are about 200 known Valyrian steel weapons and artifacts in the world. While this is much lower in the shows, six with a known location and three missing, 200 is still a very small amount of something to exist that is now impossible to make, even replicate for that matter. Legend tells us that Valyrian steel was forged using blood magic and dragon's fire, which also echoes the words of House Targaryen, fire and blood. I touch on this a little in episode 23 of this podcast, 
where I talk about magic cycles. So do listen to that if you want to know more about the significance of this magic. Another thing that makes Valyrian steel so important to humanity is that it can kill White Walkers. As we all know, White Walkers and the Night King are the greatest threat to the world. Winter has arrived, and with it, the long night nears, which would sure see mankind fall at the hand of the Night King and his army of the dead. We don't learn about this trait of Valyrian steel until season 5 in the shows, and this comes as not only a surprise to Jon Snow, who kills a White Walker, but also to the Night King. This is new knowledge about this resource, further increasing its value, as we can only anticipate that demand, driven largely by Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen, will increase. Something else I want to mention about forging, which is pretty exciting as a fan of the show. In the books, only the most skilled blacksmiths of Koihor are able to reforge existing Valyrian steel into new blades. In the show, however, Tywin Lannister says that only three men in the world can complete the process. He hires a blacksmith from Volantis, who moved to King's Landing some 20 years ago, to turn ice, Ned Stark's ancestral greatsword, into two smaller Valyrian steel blades for his son Jaime and grandson, now King Joffrey. Now, Gendry, the bastard son of the late King Robert Baratheon, is apprenticed to this very blacksmith so has potentially learned how to complete this process, or at the least watched it happen. He also has king's blood, and as legend tells us, blood magic was part of this process to forge new Valyrian steel. So I speculate that he will play a crucial role in unlocking the secrets of forging Valyrian steel to kill white walkers and whites alike in the coming season of the show. He, as a person, will become a critical resource which is kind of interesting to think about. Now we have a bit of background about what Valyrian steel is, how it is made, and how limited the supply of the resource is. Let's talk about what this actually means through an economic lens to have a lost recipe and to have so few in existence. The best context to do this is to make a comparison to real-world Damascus steel, a clear inspiration for the fantasy metal. The two steels share a number of legendary traits, both have a wavy ripple pattern and both have a reputation to produce extreme quality blades for their time. And like Valyrian steel, until very recently, the process for forging Damascus steel has been lost. While close-ish knockoffs were made, authentic Damascus steel blades could not be produced across the world. It was created sometime up to the 18th century in the Middle East and Asia. It is believed that this alloy was made using wood steel, imported from India and Sri Lanka, with this process no longer being known. Over time, production of the steel slowly declined and deceased in about 1750. The blades, even when they were being produced, much like Valyrian steel, were highly valuable, reputed to be tough, resistant to shattering, sharp enough to cut through a strand of hair as it fell across the blade's edge. Modern theories that explain this decline point to the breakdown of trade routes to supply the needed metals, the lack of trace impurities in the metals, the possible loss of knowledge on the crafting techniques through secrecy and lack of transmission, suppression of the industry in India by the British Raj, or a combination of all of the above. 
Now, this is somewhat in line with why the forging process for Valyrian steel was lost. Firstly, the doom of Valyria, its downfall, led to loss of knowledge. Further, we can assume that trade relations would have broken down when Valyria fell, as it is understood that some of the raw material to produce the product came from places in Essos. When the doom happened and some houses fled to Westeros, first landing at Dragonstone, this trade connection would have been lost. Much like Valyrian steel, true Damascus steel in the modern world until recently was very hard to come by and so was very expensive because of its scarcity. Weapons were more like antique collectibles. While you could buy Damascus steel kitchen knives or axes, for example, they didn't stand up to the original product as the process hadn't quite been unlocked. Now, in 2006, this changed when a research team in Germany discovered nanowires and carbon nanotubes in a blade forged from Damascus steel. I don't really know what this means, but I'm guessing it has something to do with the way the molecules are bonded together. Reach out to me if you do know the answer. Okay, so these researchers found the secret of the material to be its high carbon content, up to 20 times more than standard steel, and its lack of chromium, which is what makes steel stainless. For Damascus steel, the ore was melted in large vats, where coal was added to increase the carbon content, which is apparently different to how other steel is made. When it gets forged, it is folded back upon itself dozens of times to create the wavy pattern. This also makes it so sturdy, and it kind of made me think of making pasta. And then finally, it must be quenched in liquid to cool the material and lock in the hardness. I am no blacksmith. I don't really have a knowledge on metals. But this is meant to be different to creating regular steel and is what made Damascus steel so special. Also similar to Valyrian steel, original Damascus steel forging is surrounded by legend. Some believe that the best blades were quenched in dragon blood, while a man from Pakistan described a sword held by his family for generations was made stronger by quenching it in donkey urine. Writings found in Asia said that a Damascus sword must be heated until it glows like the sun rising in the desert and then cooled to a colour of royal purple before being plunged into the body of a muscular slave so that his strength would be transferred to the sword. Which is poetic, but very tragic if true. I think this is a pretty cool comparison to make as Damascus steel is very much a real metal that exists in our world and is so similar to Valyrian steel, which is fantasy. And this is definitely part of why the story is so great and why I can even do this series is that so much of it is rooted in history and reality. So now that we have learned about what Damascus steel is and how it compares to Valyrian steel, let's talk about its value. The secret for forging the alloy is out. So what does a Damascus steel sword go for? And would this reflect how much a new Valyrian steel blade would cost? A quick Google search of Damascus steel swords finds them being sold for anywhere between $400 and $1,500 and higher. Some sites in particular will stamp their swords and have them signed as they only produce 100, maintaining its scarce supply and indicating that it is still very difficult to make. I struggled to find the going rate before it was able to be forged again, but I can only imagine that getting your hands on a true Damascus sword or other blade was very expensive, and that the price must have started to decline as more could be made, 
outside, of course, the original's antique value. At this time in Westeros and Essos, the secret for forging Valyrian steel is yet to be discovered. We anticipate that this will happen sometime in Season 8, and as the books are completed, but for now we don't know how it's done. Tywin Lannister, who, as far as we know, is one of the richest, most powerful men in all of Westeros. He spent years trying to purchase a Valyrian sword for his family, to replace the lost Brightroar, which was once the ancestral sword of House Targaryen. The Lannisters, of course, stole or inherited this sword when the house was taken down during Robert's Rebellion. He presumably names incredibly high prices, but no one agrees. Valyrian steel is one of those interesting products whose value is actually priceless. A normal economic market for Valyrian steel doesn't exist, as none of it is actually available to purchase. It has more than monetary value. And now, given that we know it is essential to defeating the Night King and his army of White Walkers, its value will rise. Which makes me think about how Jon and Danny might try to get their hands on known Valyrian steel weapons. As they can't buy them with gold, they will have to use some other non-traditional currency, like honour, oaths, or survival, all of which resonate with the people of this world and may just work in this type of transaction. Aside from existing Valyrian steel, there is of course dragon glass, which I feel is intrinsically linked to these weapons. In the books, Samuel Tarly tells Jon Snow about old annals claiming that dragon steel is lethal to the White Walkers, like dragon glass, and they both suspect that dragon steel is another name for Valyrian steel. I personally suspect that Valyrian steel is made from dragon glass, dragon fire, and blood magic, or at least can be. So I anticipate that there may be some kind of resource dispute surrounding the dragon glass being mined at Dragonstone. Given its importance and despite its high supply, the price of dragon glass will likely increase, particularly because Daenerys and Jon, to a degree, will hold a monopoly over it and likely the forging of new Valyrian steel as this is learned, so they can really set the price to match what their goals are. So that is the end of this episode on the economics of Game of Thrones and Valyrian steel. To conclude, I speculate that a new market for dragonglass and Valyrian steel is ramping up, something that will become almost a utility as it becomes essential to survival. But I don't think this market will function in the same monetary way that the rediscovery of Damascus still did, as its value is incredibly different in the context of survival. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. You can follow the show on Twitter at EveryEconomics and find all of our other wonderful shows at Cave Goblins across all social media platforms. Please rate and review on iTunes as this is the easiest way to support the show and get us seen or head to patreon.com cavegoblins to make a donation and get access to some exclusive content. Again, thanks for tuning in. Be kind to each other. I am Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics. Hey, my name is Eric. 
I'm Piers. And this is Podcast vs. Podcast. You're listening to us here on the Cave Goblin Network. We take turns pitching podcasts to each other. We're trying to find a good podcast to do because we don't have any ideas. So turn off whatever show you're listening to. Turn on our show. This is a Cave Goblin Podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.